I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 277. Right out the gate. We gotta talk about July 4th. Oh, Lord, do we? We definitely do. (laughs) Y'all, I have never been more disappointed in myself that I let the camera's constant recording lapse because Donna took a flying leap into the pool on accident. Oh, my God. I belly busted it. Oh, my God. I was a torpedo. (laughs) Okay. So, I got in, like, hella early because it was supposed to rain July 4th, and I was like, I'm getting me some damn sun. I got in early. I was like, hey, I'm getting in. Come over if you want. Donna had taken a nap on accident. (laughs) Somebody pressed her power down button, and she did. So, she ended up coming later, and literally, I text her as she's pulling in, essentially. Yeah. And was like, by the by, it's thundering. You may want to wait. She gets there. It's thundering. We get in the pool. Stay in the pool anyway. <laughs> literally stay in while it's raining, because that's how we do. So, it stops raining, and your girl over there hadn't put any sunscreen on yet. And even though she is Hispanic, after she got that lupus, she don't, <laughs> she don't tan like she used to. Uh-uh. She was like, ooh, I got to get out and put some sunscreen on. So, I was like, okay, well, why don't you, like, just sit on the steps for a minute and let it dry, but, like, still be in? (laughs) That's what I was trying to do. All of a sudden, I heard her hand go squeak down the rail, trying to walk down the steps. And she didn't. She took a flying leap on accident. Oh, my gosh. Colby said her face <laughs> looked like when he tries to pull Jacks in the pool and my dog is, like, sheer panic. That was Donna's face while she was, like, mid-fall. God, it was glorious. I came up dying, dying. We First of all, I was like, did you break your hip? But also, <laughs> that was funny as fuck. It was just an oop. Like, just sit on the steps. Don't get your shoulders wet. And then I dunk myself. Like, what? I can't do anything, okay? Oh, my God. It was me, Donna, Colby, and my mom. And my mom, God love her, she's so sweet. She was dying laughing. (laughs) Donna literally came up from the water laughing. Like, I think she laughed as soon as she hit. Because she was, like, dying when she came up from the water. Because it was just so weird. And you know what? It's because I put it on and I was still a little wet. And so I patted it in. And so I bet that is what It was on my, your hand. Yeah. Because yeah, you're, I could just, your hand just, <laughs> I just started to get down the thing. But I saw it all in its glory. It was wonderful. Oh, god! And like, I pulled up the camera because it'll save some. You know that I've got that shit back though. I, I paid my $129 <laughs> for the year so I could get that full seven day recording. Oh, God. But it pulled up and it had her walking to the pool and then all of us laughing in the pool. And it missed the most important part. If I hadn't have stopped to try to be careful to get in the pool, it probably still would have been rolling because yeah. I would have been moving. But I stopped because I was trying to be careful and not get my shoulders in the water. <laughs> I have fallen on those steps a couple of times too, though. Oh, God. <laughs> I made Carrie recreate it because I wanted to see what I looked like. And you know I did. Yes. I was like, watch me break my neck, essentially diving in the shallow end. <laughs> Carrie's mom said, now don't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> now, Carrie. <laughs> Yo, I got these best rafts on Amazon. I don't even know what they were. But it was like a three-pack and they're like extra wide. They were glorious. I think that's the second time I've said that. Yeah. Except, so don't know where that came from. Anyway, well, my extra large pizza was getting on the steps, these damn steps, to get on my <laughs> stomach. 
Well, when I took my flying leap on purpose, <laughs> my knee went into one of the holes and I started deflating. <laughs> and it looked like I took it and ripped it. Like it was not a hole. It literally took like I opened a bag of chips. <laughs> ripped it. Needless to say, we had a good time despite the rain. Yes, we did. Okay, so you know how you have all your vocabulary words for me and stuff? I have a, did you know? Okay. Did you know that donut holes are not made from the holes in donuts? What? Yeah, it's a whole other mold. Like, it's not like it's saving that part. I thought someone was a genius and was like, hey, instead of throwing those holes out, let's... (laughs) Wait, no, that makes total sense, though, because they just go a... Bloop when they make yes. them. Yes. I have watched some Krispy Kremes. Yes. And it just bloops them. Yeah. And I didn't even think about like, yeah, it's a mold that has the hole in it. I literally thought like someone was on like fucking Shark Tank kind of thinking. It was like, we can just sell these. Kind of how people do like burnt ends. Yes. You know, like we could actually make money. Donut holes are one of like my favorite things. Yes. Did not know that. Wait, we're really stupid because like we know how they make them. <laughs> no, no. Like never in the history of watching donuts be made down the line at Krispy Kreme has there ever been a guy being like, let me just push the center out of that. Yeah, because I was getting some donuts and I got a, a half dozen of donut holes. You, you just got to pop those in your mouth on your way home. Exactly. That doesn't That's even my... count as a donut. Yes, yes. And Marley likes them too. But I was on the phone. The guy was like, I don't understand Americans with donut holes because he's Irish. And I was like, what? Someone had a genius idea. And he was like, they're from a different mold. Like they just make them. And I was like, no. Yeah, I Googled. Ruined it for me, okay? We were talking at work and one of my coworkers was saying that they wanted to get their second hole pierced. And one of my other coworkers who has like a lot of earrings was like, you should do it. And then uh, she was like, don't you have yours? And I was like, yeah, I can still like put earrings through mine, even though I haven't worn one since like high school, you know? I was like, yeah, I pierced it myself. And they were like, What? I was like, yeah, just like in seventh grade at a friend's house, I pierced one of my second holes and then talked my mom into letting me go get the other one done because, you know, she wasn't going to let me have one. And I was like, so I just did it. And then she had to let me go get the other one. And then they were talking about like other piercings or whatever. And they were like something about a, a belly button piercing. I was like, yeah, I tried to do that once myself and I got halfway through and I gave up because I, I was a big girl, you know, <laughs> and I mean, you weren't going to be able to see it anyway. And I was like halfway through and I was like, this kind of sucks. And so I stopped there like, you did it yourself and I was like I think we were just different in the 90s <laughs> yes hey here's an ice cube and a needle yes get after it <laughs> you know why because we watched Greece, and that's basically what they did true <laughs> well that's essentially what they do at a freaking mm-hmm. tattoo shop but I was like yeah y'all never pierce anything <laughs> on yourself <laughs> you know what they didn't grow up doing the pins in their uh, no, like in the their skin in their skin yeah <laughs> God, I was like, well, maybe we were just built different in the 90s. I'm sure. But yeah, that's how I got a second hole and half a belly button piercing. There was a lot of layers to go through. And like I said, let's be honest, you were not going to be able to see it. Also, I'm reading this book, and by reading, I mean I'm listening to it, called The Last Housewife by Ashley Winstead. Y'all, it's so good so far. I mean, I'm only um, 20% done of it. My coworker Christy read it and told me what, like, it was about. And you remember that case 
where there's a Netflix thing on it, I think, where this man basically like started living with his daughter in her dorm room and oh, like yeah. a sex cult. Uh-huh. It's like the book version of that, but not like a true crime book of it, like a fiction book on it. So it's kind of that story from what she said. And I'm like, legit, I'm 20% into it. And I'm like, oh my God, because it, <laughs> it starts off with like this true crime podcast and all the things. Mm. And so I'm like, every time I get somewhere, I'm like, damn it, I got to get out of my car. Oh, yes. Because I rent it through my library app. Maybe I can rent the book version so I can sit here and read it when I can't be listening to it, you know? Oh, yeah. Because they have both. And I'm like, hmm... Because our library puts a cap on how many things can be rented in a day. So it took me a day to be able to rent it because I had to wait on it to like reset. Oh. So I'm like, hmm. Man, cold coffee's got you wanting to read again. It really did. That is not an ad. Like it really did when we got the coffee and true crime subscription box. You know, I don't even have an up-to-date library card. And I used to. Like I was the one, I won a Savage Garden CD. Okay. Because I read so much during the summer. That is very (laughs) impressive. I mean, I did live right across the street from the library. Well, I have one more thing. I have one more thing to say. No, actually, I have two more. Because when I just did that, it kind of sounded like the lady on the plane. She is all over TikTok. If y'all don't know what I'm talking about, this lady, the first time I saw it, I really thought she was inebriated because she's like trying to get off the plane. And she's saying that, I don't know who y'all think you are, but that motherfucker back there was not real. Yes. And you're like, what? And it's so funny because everyone like turns to see who she's talking about. But she did get off. And like, they ended up having to ground the plane for a little bit to see like, who was she talking about? What's going on? You know, all the things. The more people were talking about it, they're like, that's not a drunk person. That is a scared person person yeah like listen to her voice and I was like god she is scared like what if she really did see someone yeah or whatever but oh my god she's everywhere but I was like okay this is how gullible I am because at first I'm like oh no she was drunk four people tell me no she was scared I'm like oh she saw something like you go from like god get this lady off the print wait what'd she see yeah (laughs) and I will have to say that I would have been nervous I wouldn't have wanted to stay on that plane just because it's like "Uh uh-uh that's kind of weird I don't know what's going on well and if they didn't take her seriously and something really did happen they'd be sued for billions of dollars but meanwhile people were probably so pissed because they had to like delay everything to search it but it's like, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Yeah. I wasn't even going to talk about that, but how I said it, it kind of sounded like her. And so that made me think of it. But I did have another oops moment this weekend. Uh-oh. You know, like falling into the pool belly first. So That's how I enter every room. <laughs> me too. Let's be honest. But me and Marley went to get coffee and she gets a pup cup. Normally, we would go just to McDonald's because it's cheaper because I can use the app. If y'all don't use the app, you're leaving money on the table, okay? But we went to another coffee place and they do pup cups. They have a milk bone that they'll put in there and they cut the cup a little bit. So like the dog doesn't have to go all the way in, you know, Mm -hmm. I was getting it and I literally grabbed it with the the milk bone (laughs) instead of the cup. What? I don't even understand. I was like, I don't know why I just did that. But it was like all over my hand. I was like, it's fine. It's fine. I was like, Marley, here. Just like like my hand. Like, just go. Just do it. <laughs> like, oh my God. I just like looked at her and it was like, <laughs> I don't know what I did. Like, why did I malfunction? I have done that so many times. Like, it's just yes. a normal thing. Okay, here's a cup. Here's a cup. But I just was like, and here's a handle, the milk bone that's not connected. <laughs> it's just stuffed in the whipped cream. In what world would a handle be like that in a I cup? I don't know. But 
it was just like everywhere. She was like, here's some napkins. <laughs> Thanks. Like, was it on the side of your car? No, thank God, because she still had it. Oh, my God. So it was, like, just all in my hand and then, like, hovering over hers. And then I was like, it's fine. Here, Marley will eat it. (laughs) But, yeah, I had, like, a stack of napkins that I had to do. And my my steering wheel was sticky. Ugh. I've literally never done that before. And it's like there there was a glitch in the Matrix. And I just was like, okay. Well, before we get into our stories, we got to talk about real paper because they are back and you know that they are the real mvp for donna for my bum yes it is you know sometimes when you use stuff that's like meant to be sustainable you feel like you're having to sacrifice something quality cost something like that but not with real you're not sacrificing anything to help the planet in fact it's an upgrade honestly that's me with paper straws like i want to do better for the planet but also i'll just do without a straw right and with real you're not making those sacrifices because it's an upgrade i'm telling you it is luxurious feeling and i never have to worry about anything stuck in my tush i will say that so what makes real different and why is it so good for the planet because real paper is made from 100 percent bamboo this is awesome because when you make regular toilet paper and other paper products you have to cut down a tree then you have to replant one and it takes years and years and years and years and years to grow right well with real toilet paper you don't have to do that because it's made of bamboo it's like cutting grass your lawn grows you go mow your grass it's back in a week or two and if you live in the south maybe a day and a half mm-hmm So it's able to regenerate faster. And y'all have felt like bamboo sheets and everything like that. Bamboo is super soft. And that's what this is made of. 100% bamboo on your bum. I am telling you, the planet will thank you, but also your booty. Real toilet paper is thick without being too thick. And it's not thin like some others. I mean, it is seriously the Goldilocks of toilet paper. That's so true because if it's too thin, we know about that. But then sometimes it's so thick, it's like it doesn't do anything because it's so thick. That is definitely not the case with real toilet paper. And you know what? Real toilet paper is now available in most Target stores and on Target.com. So if you're like, hey, I want to try this. I don't know about if I want to do a subscription box or whatever. That's fine. Head over to Target because they have a 12-pack box that's the perfect size for you to try out what's going to be your new favorite tree-free paper. But if you're like me and you don't want to put that in your buggy for everyone to see. That's so weird to me. I understand that that's your thing. It is. I don't get embarrassed by a lot. But if you put toilet paper in my buggy, I am rosy-cheeked and trying to get out of there. But Target, you can drive up. Like the person putting it in your car knows that you have toilet paper, but it's fine. Not everyone else in the store. However, what I do for my real toilet paper, I get it delivered. It comes in a package. It doesn't say toilet paper on the box. It just says real. So if they don't know what it is, they have no idea that they're delivering the best freaking toilet paper on the planet to me. But if you're like 98.7% of the rest of the population and you don't care if somebody knows that you buy toilet paper, you can go to Target. It's super easy to spot. It's the only bamboo toilet paper and the only option that you'll find in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. So check out the Target app today for an additional discount to save on your purchase. So make a better choice for your home by switching to Real. Real is the paper for the planet. So check it out on the Target app to get an additional discount on your purchase. BetterHelp is back and this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
I feel like therapy is something that we've all thought about, talked about maybe trying, but it's really scary to take the plunge. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I myself have kind of been a little scared to take the plunge, but I've downloaded the app and I have started the process because life's hard and sometimes you need a little extra help. And that's what BetterHelp is here to do. The great things about BetterHelp is that it's completely online, so it's convenient and flexible. You can make it fit your schedule. To get started, you fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. If you don't jive with that therapist, it's okay because you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. And seriously, the questionnaire is brief, but it covers all the important attributes that you would want to know about someone that you're about to open up and be completely raw and honest with. And look, we have talked about what is going on with the planets. Are they all aligning or what? Because we have been so stressed out lately. My anxiety has been through the roof and that's when therapy can come in. It doesn't have to be all about past trauma or anything. It can be right now I'm feeling overwhelmed and I need to talk to someone. And that's something great about BetterHelp because it's online. Carrie can literally do therapy in her muumuu. If I can sit with no bra and a muumuu with my socks and my Crocs and I can sort out my life's issues, literally sign me up. (laughs) But for real, going back to the questionnaire, it really does ask you things like, what type of therapist do you want? Like, do you want someone that's religious? Do you want someone that's not religious? Do you want someone, you know, within the LGBTQ community? Do you want a female? Do you want a male? Do you not give a shit about any of that? What led you to therapy? Do you know what has worked for you? And a couple of times I was like, I literally don't know. I don't know what works for me because I... I have been too scared to try this. Yeah. So don't be like me. Don't be scared. We can do this. You're going to go to betterhelp.com slash APC to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash APC to get 10% off your first month. We can do this in an effort to try to make ourselves feel better, literally, with better help. Okay, so we're going to California for this story because you know what? There's gold in dim dare heels. Oh, (laughs) did you write that? You've been practicing that all damn day, haven't you? I didn't. I wrote it down, but I didn't. But y'all should have seen the face that (laughs) Gary just gave me. But, (laughs) But seriously, we're talking about a gold rush town. And it's called the town of Bodie. You know, it was all the rage during the gold rush, but now it's a ghost town. So the California gold rush started in early 1848. Well, by the next year, so 1849, a man named W.S. Bodie left his family in New York to see if he could strike it rich in California. So he made it to San Francisco and he met up with three more prospectors there and they were like, hey, we can work together, you know, all the shit. And so they did just that. Well, in 1859, so it's been a little bit, they were still looking for that, you know, to strike it rich. And so they traveled to the California-Nevada border. The foursome actually did find some gold, you know, like they say gold veining, but it was nearing winter. So they couldn't just like go ahead and dig full force because, you know, it's about to be sub-zero temperatures. And they wanted to keep this all to themselves. They didn't want to have to tell anyone, hey, this is ours up here, but we're not going to be there for the winter because, hello, no one's going to honor that, okay? So Bodie and another prospector really didn't want to leave their claim unattended. 
So they went to get some supplies and they intended on weathering the winter. But unfortunately, on the way back to their gold site, they got caught up in a blizzard. I'm not sure what happened, but Bodhi was unable to keep traveling. And he was like, look, it's an end for me, but you go on. You get that gold. Now, I did not find this anywhere in the research. So maybe I'm just the person who looks for the worst in people, <laughs> I guess. But I'm just like, um, wouldn't that be the perfect time? Like if it's like, oh, a blizzard. Oh, if something happens to Bodhi, I get his cut. True. You know what I mean? And like no one else is up there because it was going to be them two. But I don't know. Like. Like two men walked into a blizzard and only one man walked out. And that makes me want Dairy Queen's blizzards so bad right now. And so another thing is like it was under a blizzard and all the things. And so Bodie's body wasn't found until that spring. But again, I didn't see like how he died. You know what I mean? So I don't know. That's allegedly what could have happened. Okay. In the lifetime version, that's what happened. <laughs> Now, the other three prospectors did keep their claim, and when word got out, other gold seekers came and they started to build a camp around there to see what they could get. And in honor of their friend dying, and, you know, maybe it's in my Lifetime movie, it's to make them appear that they are mournful and sad, they named the camp Bodie after their friend. Now, there's some local lore about the name, and I don't know if anyone knows for sure, but word on the street was that the painter who created the sign for Camp Bodie spelled it wrong because W.S. Bodie, the man, his last name was spelled B-O-D-E-Y. But the camp and then town is spelled B-O-D-I-E. And so some people say that it might have been a mistake, but then they're like, that makes more sense. Like people would be able to pronounce that better. So like, let's just keep it. Well, two years later, in 1861, the Bodie camp had a mill, had a dozen miners living there. It was slow growing, but steadily gained population. However, in 1876, they struck a lot of gold and word spread. So the popularity rose with that strike. And it was kind of a freak accident how it happened. Because like I said, there was a mine, but it caved in. And when it caved in, in that site, that's where they were able to find gold in that wreckage. Then two years later, another gold strike occurred. And this was a big one, like in the millions in gold. And that drew an obscene amount of people. And by 1880, Bodie was home to more than 10,000 residents. And of course, a booming mining town, well, it had its share of debauchery. Just like you see in all the old Western movies, lots of saloons, like over 60 saloons. Dang, that's more banks and churches than our town has, which is an actual fuck ton in the South. <laughs> yes. There were boarding houses, brothels, places to gamble. So you know that's where I would have been? Mm-hmm. I'd have been pulling that lever over and over and over again. I know. And I don't think they had slot machines, but you know, it was more card games. I mean, I could have figured it out. Exactly. And now you have to remember that there were families who lived here. You know, they had packed up, headed to California, chasing their dream of striking it rich. Not everyone left their family behind. But then there were more outlawish people, you know, who didn't really have any responsibility other than just taking what they wanted and doing whatever they pleased. And these men were just collectively known as the bad men of Bodie. 
So needless to say, violence ran rampant in Bodie. Multiple stick-ups, murders, all kinds of trouble happened on the daily. It's reported in a book called Gunfighters, Highwaymen, and Vigilantes that during the biggest boom Bodie saw, it had its worst bout of crime, and it was over 70 shootouts, and over 40 men were arrested for murder. Now, they did have sheriffs, they had a courthouse, all of that, but that didn't mean there wasn't vigilante justice going on, too. There was this one vigilante group called the Bodie 601, and the 601 stood for six feet under, zero trial, and one rope. Meanwhile, that's our area code. (laughs) It is. So, you know, shit was wild. Literally the wild, wild west. There is this little girl who was moving to Bodie with her family, and she was quoted as praying and saying, goodbye, God, we're going to Bodie. Oh, my God. Right. But like things usually do, you know, the booming time of Bodie had come to an end. In 1882, the mines were running dry, and that meant a lot of the residents packed up and headed to another town. And then in 1892, there was a fire that spread throughout most of the town and burned some homes and businesses. But there were still people who resided in Bodie and thought it might come back. Yeah, it's not going to be its complete former glory, but it was still a good place to live. But then in 1932, there was another fire started. And this time, it was by a two and a half year old boy who was just playing with some matches he found. And then, oops, it basically ravaged the town and 90% of the buildings were destroyed. Oh my God. Because also you have to think when they built this, it was all lumber, like all wood. So it's not like brick buildings and all of this. So, I mean, the fire spread quickly and completely devastated the town. And that was all she wrote for Bodie. The town couldn't come back after that. During that time that Bodie was booming, it was estimated close to $95 million of gold was found there. So when you're thinking about that, think about those people, like the highwaymen that they were talking about, who they didn't do the hard work. They didn't want to do all of that. They wanted to sit there when that gold had to be transported somewhere. That amount of money, is that in today's money or back then money? In today's money. Okay. I mean, either way, shit ton of money, but if Mm -hmm. it was in back then money? Well, honestly, I don't know. In back then money, it doesn't even make sense that they would have that much money. (laughs) So, but yeah. But it could. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. I assumed it made an ass out of you and me. But the highwaymen would just sit there waiting to rob someone because it had to be transported. And hey, if we don't have to do the work, we can just, you know, we can just take it from them. So in 1962, the town of Bodie became a historic park and it was named the official gold rush town of California. Now, if you visit Bodie Park, you can see a few remaining buildings and homes. There's like 170 buildings still there, including homes, which might sound like a lot. You're like, holy shit, that's not a ghost town. It is. Think about that. 10,000 people live there. So those 170 buildings, not a lot. Like times 10 of that is what it had. Another thing to note about Bodie, it's like the residents just left. Like, left all their shit. It's probably because they had to travel by carriage or whatever. And so it's like, you can only take what you can carry. 
Right. And so they just left it. But it's just really eerie to look at a home and, you know, it looks like the people vanished, but their stuff remained. So cups and plates were on the dining table still. You know, books left open like they were being read and there's no one there. Also, can you imagine just leaving your home like that? No, especially when you've survived that like lawless kind of land and you're like, okay, okay, okay. And now you have to go do it on a whole nother place that you don't know anything about. Like you have to start over. My anxiety could not take that. No, I am not cut out for that time period. No, literally time period. So Bodie is a ghost town for sure, but it said that there are actually some ghosts who were residents. One of the ghosts is believed to be a Chinese maid who worked for a man named Jim S. Kane. He was one of the first settlers in Bodie. So Jim was married and then they had this maid and she was said to be, you know, very beautiful. Well, apparently Jim couldn't keep his hands to himself and they started having an affair. The wife found out and fired the maid. The story goes that the maid died by suicide because she couldn't live with the shame. Some people say she hanged herself in her room in the cane house. Now people have reported seeing a Chinese lady there in the cane house because it's still there. It's still erected. And they say her spirit takes more kindly to children than adults. And this house sees a lot of action because it's actually where the park rangers will use as their quarters when they're working. One of the wives of a ranger said that she and her hubby were both asleep and she woke up feeling pressure on her like someone was on top of her. She instantly began fighting. She is not a freeze kind of person. She is a I'm going to fight. And she was struggling and struggling so much that she ended up falling off the bed. But she swears it was the spirit of that maid on her. But why would it be the maid? Like, because the maid never fought with the wife that we know of from your story. Well, she could be mad because there's a man and a woman sleeping together in the bed. And she's like, I couldn't have this or whatever. She could. Or she could think it is the wife and the husband and she's mad at him. Another incident with a ranger, Gary Walters is his name. He was staying there. And in that very room, he said the door opened on its own. And music would randomly play in different rooms in that house, even though those rooms were empty. Gary also said he woke up several times to feeling suffocated, like he just could not breathe. And he attributed that to the ghost. He said he woke up one time and he saw the lady on top of him. Now, that's not the only house that had music coming out of empty rooms. And people say they experienced cold spots in several of the houses, as well as the smell of Italian food cooking in the Mendocini house, which was the cuisine that the woman who lived there loved to make. Well, I mean, that sounds like a house that I would want to stay in. Yes. Could you imagine, though, being like, oh, my God, that smells so good. And then it's not there. Like it's just a phantom smell. That is like smelling barbecue when I'm driving down the road and I'm like, oh, that smells so good. Like someone's grilling out or whatever and you're just driving. You're like, well, not going to get an invite to that one. Yeah. Oh, that smells so good to me. And that's how I feel like it would be. I'm like walking in this ghost town. I'm like, oh, pasta carbonara. Yes, yes, yes. Breadsticks with extra garlic. Wait, what? Believe it or not, we just had dinner. (laughs) In that same house, rangers said that they have heard celebratory cheers and a lot of laughter coming from children. Then another house, the Gregory house, it has an older woman who's been seen in a rocking chair knitting. And sometimes the apparition's not there, but the rocking chair will still rock by itself. That's me as an apparition. Mm -hmm. Rocking in my damn rocking chair. 
Yes. Yes, it is. In your moo moo. You're not wrong. And the people would get on your nerves. You'd be the grumpy old ghost that's like, oh my God, these people and their technology and all the things. Especially how I felt today. (laughs) I would have 1000% done that. Yes. This is one of those days where literally every single little thing got on my nerves. So 1000% I would have been that ghost. Yes. You're going to be like, they're still breathing from their lungs. Must be nice. (laughs) I will literally be like, they're breathing too loud near me. Can you not (laughs) breathe so loudly? People also have claimed that when they're by the old mine shaft, they can hear chains rattling and the sound of men working hard. So like grunting and just like talking. So that's literally your worst fear as a ghost, Mm -hmm. still having to do your job. Yes. Or people making fucking noises around me. Like, be quiet. (laughs) Why are you being so loud? Don't talk so loud. Don't breathe so loud. Just don't exist so loudly. (laughs) Meanwhile, Carrie makes the most noise anyone's ever fucking made. If y'all edited this podcast, you would hate me. (laughs) This voice of yours. I don't know where it came from. I don't know, but it is haunting me. You know what I think it is? There's a TikTok where they talk like that. And I think that might be where it came from. Don't know what it's about, but they'll be like, (laughs) I almost deleted TikTok the other day. Oh, gosh. It's too much. I mean, did we sit here for 30 minutes showing each other TikToks? Yes. Okay, that got way off topic because that's what TikTok does to our lives. It, you know, makes it tick, tick, tick away. So, okay, let's go back to the town of Bodie. There's one more paranormal hotspot, and that is the Bodie Cemetery. I think a hundred or so people buried there, but it is supposedly haunted by the angel of Bodie, as people call her. It's the spirit of a little girl who died when she was just three years old in 1897. Her name is Evelyn, and she was the daughter of Albert and Fanny Myers. Now, her death was caused by accidentally hitting her head on a miner's pickaxe. What? So I don't know if a miner was swinging it or something and she walked by. That sounds like someone who cheated being like, oh, I tripped and my dick fell in her. It didn't happen. Somebody hit her in the head with a fucking pickaxe. That's what I feel like. But also, like, if her dad was a miner and she was like, oh, let me look at this. And she was left unattended or something. And she hit herself in the head. The reason why they call her the angel of Bodhi is because there is an angel statue on her headstone. There was a man who brought his daughter. And even though he didn't see anything out of the ordinary, his daughter was over there by the statue. And it was like she was playing with someone, giggling. And one time she was running, not like she was scared, but like someone was chasing her like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, or like playing tag. And he's like, there was no one else there. But like she was playing with someone. And maybe the most well-known thing about Bodie is that it supposedly has a curse attached to it. Or rather, it's belongings. So like I mentioned, families left everything they couldn't easily transport. And you know, there are some people who are going to be the reason why we can't have nice things. And those people are the ones who would take different artifacts from the houses and the town of Bodie when they would go visit. But reportedly, they would end up sending the artifact back with an apology letter. Because it seemed like if you took anything, bad luck would find you in some way or another. One man took a nail, thinking nothing of it because it was a nail, nothing big. But he ended up sending the nail back and he wrote, quote, Life since has been a steady downward slide. It's possible that all the unpleasant events in the past nine months are a coincidence. But just in case the Bodhi curse is real, I'm returning the nail. 
There were so many letters sent along with returned items, the park rangers started showcasing them, kind of like a fair warning, like, hey, don't do this because, you know, A, B, C, or D. Another couple had visited Bodie and the husband took another nail because apparently that's a hot commodity around there and their car wouldn't start. And the wife was joking and was like, did you take something from here? And the husband was like, okay, I did, but it was a nail. Like it was a fucking nail. She was like, go put it back. Wherever you got it from, go fucking put it back. And he did, got back in the car and it cranked. And like, I mean, luckily they were still there and so they could return it easily, but they were like, yeah, we didn't believe in the curse. Like, it was a joke when she said, like, did you take anything? But now they are like staunch believers in the curse. There was another letter that said, Dear Bodhi Spirits, I am sorry. One year ago, around the 4th of July, I was visiting the ghost town. I had been there many times before, but had always followed the regulations about collecting. This trip was different. I collected some items here and there and brought them home. I was a visitor again this year, and while I was in the museum, I read letters of others who had collected things and had bad luck. I started to think about the car accident, the loss of my job, my continuing illness, and other bad things that have, quote, haunted me for the past year since my visit and violation. I'm generally not superstitious, but dot, 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 please see the enclosed collectibles. I just couldn't live without, and I ask that the spirits see my regret. I just love that because it's like, I'm not usually superstitious, but also see the enclosed returned items. Thanks. Right, and please take these and forgive me and take all my bad luck away. (laughs) Another person who had sent in an apology was a German man who lived in California. His uncle had come to visit him from Germany, and so they went to see Bodie, and his uncle took a little bottle, like just a small bottle. He didn't think anything of it. But two days later... That uncle had an accident on the Audubon. And then the man's son had taken the bottle to school to, you know, show and tell all his friends. And he had a bicycle accident riding home after school. So the man who was sending the note, he, he was like, here's a small bottle. I need this curse to stop haunting my family. They were in a different country at that point. But okay, Think about this, though. How would something have that amount of power? I don't know. But, I mean, the same is said about Robert the doll. Again, how does something so far away from you have so much power? I don't know that it does, and I don't know that it doesn't. But if you feel like something does, it's like a tulpa. If you feel like it does, it does. Mm -hmm. The placebo effect. If you feel like a medicine's working, it's working, whether it's a sugar pill or not. Like, you can make coincidences into a thing. You can make yourself feel certain ways. So, is it real? I don't know. Well, this one woman, she believed it was real. And so she warned her kids not to take anything from Bodie. But she should have been worried about her husband because he was the one who took some colored glass. Well, the hubby ended up in the ER. Then shortly after that, their daughter broke her arm when she fell out of a tree. And the mom sent the colored glass back and was like, I am so sorry, please. How do I break this curse? And then everything is hunky-dory after that? Not sure, because you know why? I feel like if their lives are okay, they're not going to be like, oh, thanks, by the way, for that. Because you know what I mean? Like, you always can write a negative review, but you're not always going to write a positive review or a thank you. You're just going to be like, oh, my life is great. Let me just go on about my business. Like, I need to wear are they now? Well, there is a stolen shoe that was returned after decades of terrible bad luck. This man said, please find enclosed one weather-beaten old shoe. The shoe was removed from Bodie during the month of August 1978. My trail of misfortune is so long and depressing, it can't be listed here. 
There was one woman who had taken a piece of obsidian rock and she apologized for taking it, but she said, I just wanted to remember my amazing trip. And it was just an obsidian rock. It wasn't like a big rock. She, it was, you know, like a little pebble. She said that her luck was terrible. She blames it on the rock. She was like, my romantic life, terrible. My career, terrible. Like I'm having issues in all of the things. And I'm like, girl, me too. And I did not take <laughs> anything from anything. There was another letter that was sent in 1998 and it said, so sorry for picking these up. I love antiques and being a Christian, I felt so guilty for taking these on Monday. Not to mention Tuesday, we got a flat tire and my husband hit his head on a rock. <laughs> it just cracked me up because it was like, I felt bad for taking these, but I love antiques. <laughs> And then, and what does a Christian have anything to do with it? I don't know. I don't know, but it just cracked me up. I'm a Christian, so I don't steal, but I took this. <laughs> there was a note from a kid who has stolen some glass pieces, and the note said, Sorry I took the glass pieces. I thought they were pretty, but my fish died the day after. Oh. I just picture this kid writing in crayon and having like a picture of the fish, yeah. you know, or something. Like, oh. Meanwhile, it's purely coincidental, and I stand by my decision. Don't give me that look. <laughs> well, we have more. It doesn't seem like any piece of stolen property is too small. In 2004, a letter was sent, and it said, you can have these godforsaken rocks back. I've never had so much rotten luck in my life. Please forgive me for ever testing the curse of Bodhi. Now, some people say the curse isn't real, Carrie being one of them. And a lot of people say, oh, it was made up by the park rangers so people would stop stealing things. And then when people still stole things and something bad happened, those gullible thieves thought they were cursed. And so the park rangers just let the lore live on, you know, so they can try to deter vandalism and theft. So if you want to go to Bodie, it's near the Nevada border. It's like 75 miles southeast from Lake Tahoe, which Carrie and I just found out this year was on the California-Nevada border. And it's 12 miles east of Bridgeport. But remember, if you do go visit, do not take anything, even a pebble, or you'll be the next to find out if the curse is real or not. If this is people's first time to listen to our podcast, they think we are morons. Why? Because uh, we just found out about where Lake Tahoe was, the whole beginning thing. Oh. We didn't know the donut thing. <laughs> like They're probably like, these bitches don't know anything. <laughs> I was like, people believe in curses, Carrie. That's a thing. No, everything else about our real lives. <laughs> oh. That's true. Because here's the thing. When Carrie moved here, there were a pair of little shoes and she removed them. If something had happened to her house, do you not think that she would be like, it's because I moved those shoes? Oh, that's what I was about to say. If I go to Bodie, am I taking something? Fuck no. Like with the capital, fuck no. <laughs> but do I believe it? Nah. But am I going to chance it? Hell no. Because your girl <laughs> has bad luck enough as it is. Right. Have you heard the shit that we've talked about on this podcast? I am literally a walking time bomb. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, and also, though, if you think about the curse, it's really just karma. And I believe in karma. I don't know what I believe, to be honest. I really don't. Like, I feel like I'm going through this, like... Existential thing? Yes. Very much so. <laughs> then I'm like, is karma real? Don't know. Are curses real? Don't know. Do you step on a crack? Yes. And I have to do it evenly because of, <laughs> I have... That word I can never say correctly, idiosyncrasies, syncrasies, whatever the word is, because it has to touch on the same part of my foot on both feet. Oh, my God. If I step on three cracks with the right, I got to step on three cracks with the left. Oh, my gosh. It's just one of my little idiosyncrasies. Whatever that fucking word is. <laughs> 
But do I make a wish if I see an eyelash? I sure as hell do. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, just think about like mirrors breaking. Mm-hmm. No one likes that? Yeah, I broke one the other day. Oh, Lord. Well, Tiffany has broken hers. That's on her door. And she posted an outfit pic like, that she had sent us before. But it was of that. And you could see the crack in the door. It was on a thread that people were like, hey, like, let's raise each other up kind of thing in our group. And... Teresa Creepbomb said, Ooh, a broken mirror in your bedroom? That's bad luck. <laughs> and Timmy said, That explains a whole lot. Right. <laughs> yeah, when I broke that mirror, like within the last month, did the first thing I thought of is, well, there's seven more years of bad luck. Again, yes, but I also don't swallow gum because it may clog up my insides, and that's not true either. <laughs> well, I didn't get this figure by not swallowing gum. Well, you do because you choo choo swallow and go, <gasps> I can't help it. My throat just likes to swallow, okay? Then that explains a lot about her bedroom things, too. (laughs) Well, now that you know all that stuff going on at Donna's house, let's talk about stuff going on at my house. Because I'm here to tell y'all that y'all need to get in on this Lumi action. I'm sure you've seen the commercials. Especially if you're on TikTok, because they are always on my TikTok. And it's Lumi, L-U-M-E. Because y'all, I have been using Lumi for a while, and I am super excited that they are sponsoring this podcast. One time, I recommended Lumi to someone, and they are like, you mean Loom? And I was like, no, I mean Lumi. Trust me, I know how to say it. Yes, and trust me, it freaking works. So I started out with just the deodorant sticks, but this is not just an underarm deodorant because Lumi products are created by an OBGYN. And she found it is not just the vagina that is to blame for odor below the belt because everybody wants to shame and blame the vagine. But let me tell you what I use Lumi for. All the rolls. Every one of them. You got a sweaty spot. It is the summer. The titties are hot. The back titties are hot. The undercarriage is hot. And you got to get you some Lumi. It comes in a deodorant stick. It comes in a cream. It comes in deodorant wipes. It even comes in a body wash. And it's all uniquely formulated pH balanced deodorant. It's aluminum-free, skin-safe, and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. And we all know thick thighs save lives, but sometimes that chub rub is a killer. And you know what? I've always envied girls who can wear like open back shirts and like dresses and stuff. And I'm like, I sweat straight down my back. There's no way I could do that. But you can with Lumi because that cream that I was telling y'all about is invisible. The deodorant stick that I have is unscented because you know, sometimes I I'm weird about scents with my headaches, but Donna and I both got the Lumi starter pack that came with all those things I was telling you about. A solid stick of deodorant, the cream tube deodorant, and you get two free products of your choice. Like again, a body wash, deodorant wipes, which is what we got. And a variety of scents. I love the toasted coconut. It's perfect for summer. It smells like lotion to me and it's so warm and inviting, but it's not overbearing. I like the deodorant wipes that I got because they're cool cucumber and you know, it just brings me back. But how Carrie said it's a whole body deodorant, it really is. It's safe for anywhere on your body, including your butt crack and including your feet. Because you know what? Your butt crack sweats. And it's perfect for men and women. So even though it was created by an OBGYN, men can use this too. Because let me just tell you that the first time that I ever bought Lumi, I bought a two-pack because I had one for my under boobs and one for Colby's balls. One thing I love is the packaging. I love the commercials and everything, but it says directions. Swipe anywhere you have odor, but wish you didn't. 
Because like we said, you can use it pits, under boobs, thighs, belly buttons, butt cracks, your vulvas, your feet, literally anywhere you sweat, swipe it. And it's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. But here's how it's different. It's not just masking odor with a fragrance. It's formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. Picture a pre-deodorant. Yeah, it's proactive. It's not reactive. And again, it's pH balanced, so you can use it in your undercarriage. So for a special offer, new customers can get 5% off a Lumi starter pack with the code CREEP. That's basically 40% off your starter pack when you go to lumideodorant.com slash offer slash CREEP, and you can use promo code CREEP. And again, that gets you $5 off the Lumi Starter Pack with code CREEP, and that equates to over 40% off your starter pack. So again, go to Lumi Deodorant, that's L-U-M-E deodorant.com slash offer slash CREEP. For a $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack, go to lumideodorant.com slash offer slash CREEP and use promo code CREEP. Okay, picture it. Bakersfield, California. Why do you have to copy me? Guarantee mine was done first this week. Probably, you're right. Okay. So Bakersfield PD gets a call because some bones had been found by some guys out in the desert, well, looking for treasure. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. They were sifting looking for gold themselves, just like your story, but they found more than they bargained for. Now, this story was on an episode of Detective that's on Investigation Discovery. And that's the only way I know this story. That's a very vague name. Just detective. Just detective. I I don't even think it's plural. I literally think it's just detective. Okay. So through additional looking up at stuff, I did find that they kind of made this storyline sound different than it actually went. So just know if you watch that episode, it's going to be a little bit different from the timeline that I'm telling you this because, well, the timeline wasn't really how they made it sound. So the detective lied. Well, they put the story in an order that made it have more like cinematic excitement. You know? Yeah, yeah. So the police were able to identify that it was human remains. How the story is told in Detective, they're like, hey, let's set up this perimeter. It's like an archaeological site. Quadrant it off. Search with the little sifters all the different quadrants so that they can see if they find other bones. Which I'm sure they did. But all the news articles say that actually there were bones found like a year apart from one another. Again, they may have done that quadrant thing, but it wasn't like the bones that they found were all found at once. There was some found in like 2008 and then some found in 2009. But the bones that they did find were two femur bones, part of a pelvis, and part of a skull. You know, based on bone structure, they're able to tell a good bit about who the person was. So they could tell that it was a female and that she was pretty petite, but they also found an acrylic fingernail. Now, something said that on the bones and something said in the fingernail, there was a little bit of DNA left wherever they found it from, they took the DNA and they ran it through known missing persons. And they got a hit. 29-year-old Azita Nakui went missing September 6th, 2004. Oh, gosh. So that's four years before the first set of bones were found. Right. 
But this is where the timeline's really fuzzy to me because in the detective show, they say 2011, but a lot of stuff was like, oh, she'd been missing for eight years, eight years, eight years. The years make no sense to me in this story. But let's talk about Azita. Azita came to America in 1994 from Iran. Azita was described as being super friendly. She was very beautiful, never met a stranger, and had a lot of friends. It said that she grew up rather poor in Iran. And so while she was here in America, she really wanted to work hard and give the best that she could to her family. She sold beauty supplies, she would do fingernails, and she had a six-year-old son named Donnie. Do I know if that's his real name? Sure don't. It was a name used in the show, but it was also used in the article, so I'm pretty sure that that was his name. But you know, with kids and stuff, sometimes they change their names. Yeah, it's like if it's not his name, it's okay. We don't need to know his real name. Right. And if you're uh, past Carrie while you're typing this up, you typed Danny a shit ton. (laughs) Azita was very involved in... Donnie's life. She did the school party. She did all the things. She was super close with him. Now, the time of her disappearance, she was engaged to and living with a man named Nathan Mowers. And Nathan was essentially her complete opposite. She was loud, outgoing. He was calm and a little more demure. And Nathan is the one who reported her missing. On September 6th of 2004, at 7 p.m., Nathan had gotten a call from Azita's ex-husband. His name's Bobby Nikui. She was supposed to have met Bobby in order to pick up Donnie. And Azita never showed up. The two were going through a bit of a custody battle. But this is the first time in over four years Azita had not shown up for an exchange. So Nathan did what any fiance would do. He spearheaded this campaign, for lack of a better word, to spread the word and to create posters, do interviews with the media, everything that he can do to get Azita's name out in the community because she was missing. He said that she was running errands that day. Morning was, you know, normal. Wake up, have breakfast. What are you doing today? I got some errands to run and then I'm going to go pick up Donnie. Already, I feel like it's an ex-husband. Nathan says he called Azita around lunch and was like, hey, do you want to meet for lunch? And she's like, no, I've still got some errands to run and then picking up Donnie. And then again, she never showed up. So the police ask Nathan, like, well, is there anything, is there anybody in her life that maybe would want to hurt her or anything like that? Because her purse isn't there. Her, you know, there's nothing like she just ran off. Like, it's not like she just like left everything. Mm -hmm. She literally just was gone and disappeared. Yeah. And Nathan tells police that she was in a custody battle with Bobby. They seem to kind of have a decent relationship, but there were definitely some red flags. So Azita was 10 years younger than Bobby. And these this part is just details, not the red flags. I was about to say, age is just a number. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, that's not the shit. I'll tell you the red flag when I get there. Good, because I probably won't see it. You will. Their marriage was actually an arranged marriage. They got married in 1994. It wasn't long before Donnie came along, and Azita really started getting bored in this relationship. She was 23 years old when she had Donnie. You know, she's new to America, had only been here for like two years got married, had a kid, and, you know, she kind of wanted to explore and figure out who she was and all the things. Yeah. And Bobby wasn't like that. He was more business. He was more, you know, mature and set in his ways kind of thing. Literally was about to say, probably not more mature, just set in his ways. Yeah, not really wanting to go out and all the things. So the two ended up getting divorced. She moved to Bakersfield and Bobby stayed in Fresno. 
So their arrangement after the divorce was right now she had physical custody, like full physical custody, and Bobby would get to see him on the weekends. Fresno to Bakersfield was like a few hours drive. Bobby would come in, pick Donnie up, they do their weekend shenanigans together, and then on time to make the switch back, they would meet halfway. But this is the red flag to me. Where they would meet halfway was at a police station. Most meetups, when you see parents like switching the kids, they're at a gas station, a Dollar General or something like that. Yeah. Like they're not meeting at a police station parking lot to make the switch. Yeah. Typically, if something like that is happening, it's because some shit has gone down and it's a safe, neutral ground where literally you have backup if you need it. Yeah. So that to me was like, that is a huge red flag. But Bobby says it was amicable. They really tried to make it work for Donnie's sake. Now, this is the part that was put like in a weird spot in the episode. But through the news articles, I found out that four days after Azita went missing, they actually found her car. She drove a 1998 Nissan Pathfinder, and it was found at some stuff set a market, some stuff set a shopping center, some one thing set a movie theater. It seemed to be at like a shopping center, like a strip mall type thing. Yeah, well, which would probably have a movie theater. In well, it. I was going to say, it literally probably had a grocery store and all the things. Yeah. So the detectives do their thing in the car to like look for all, well, all the things, and they don't find any blood. There's not really any trace evidence, DNA. Nothing like that. But one thing they did notice was straight in the movie Son-in-Law fashion, they noticed that her driver's seat was pushed really far back. Uh-huh. That's always what they forget to do. Or the fingerprints on the back of the rearview mirror. Oh, yeah. So, remember, Azita was little. She was like 5'2". And her seat was pushed back far enough that they said the person driving was probably about 7 inches taller than her. I'm thinking. Or they were an extra large pizza and had to accommodate their belly. Yeah. Because that would be us. And that's literally straight from the movie Son-in-Law. And the other thing, too, is the car was essentially out of gas. It was very low. And if she's supposed to go out of town to meet her ex-husband and pick up Donnie... Like, why didn't she have gas? Now, this next part I only saw on the show, Detective. I never saw it in any of the news articles about this story. Police go straight forensic files on this car. And they find a bug. And this bug is from the Mojave Desert, which is where her body was found. Which means that this car was driven to that crime scene and then driven back to that shopping center. Oh, shit. Okay, so back to Bobby. The ex-husband. Bobby tells police that he's concerned with Azita's quote, air quotes around way of life, which fucking eye roll. Azita had a second job as an exotic dancer. Now, please tell me because I looked it up and I still do not know the correct term for this because, you know, when you look up like what's the proper terminology is some people say strippers some people say you're not even supposed to say exotic dancers but say erotic dancers so I remember having this conversation on another episode and I remember there's never like a consensus as to what it is so please let me know because I definitely want to use the proper term but old Bobby is like I'm concerned for Donnie Meanwhile, she's not taking Donnie to the clubs. She has like a sitter and stuff for him. So what are you concerned? He's six. What does he know from this? Okay, so this part was not on the episode. Around September 16th, 17th. So we're talking two weeks after Azita disappeared. So did Nathan. 
Wait, what? The fiance. Um, so they had a dog, a boxer, and he and the dog just up and vanished. What? Also very upset that you did not say. Uh, I almost did, but I was like, uh, is it the time? Vanished like a fart in the wind. Around this time, police, while Nathan's in the wind, they did search their house, but like nothing was released what they found. And apparently they did take his BMW. He was gone in his Mercedes. But eventually, he was found in Wisconsin on September 30th. A state trooper pulled him over for a registration violation. And when they found him, he had his dog, two handguns, and $20,000 in cash. Oh, shit. So they arrested him for having the guns, like a concealed weapon. They took his car, his Palm Pilot. Oh, shit. Hello, 2004. And they searched the car, interviewed him about everything, and they're like, oh, he's a person of interest, but, like, there's literally absolutely nothing to go on. I mean, police believed that she obviously had met some foul play because everybody was like, she would never have left her son. She would never not gone to pick her son up. Like, this was not her. This would never have happened. There had to have been some foul play, but they had nothing to go on. There was literally no evidence. So, Nathan worked part-time as a salesman for New York Life Insurance. And I'm like, how do you have a BMW and a Mercedes working part-time? Literally was about to say that. Now, it did say that one of the articles said the Mercedes, like he and Azita owned that together. Some stuff said she would make five to $600 a night at the club. She worked at a club called Deja Vu. Is that like exactly what you would think a club yeah. would be named? Do you come here often or am I having Deja Vu? Okay. So when the police find out though about her job at the club... They're like, oh, fuck, this opens up like a whole new set of suspects for her murder. Because we're, we're flashing back to they found the body. Okay. Because you're like, how, why are we going murder now? Right, I was like, or disappearance, but okay. But again, this is why I'm like, the timeline, like how the story was played out in that episode, I'm like, wouldn't they have already known that was her other job? Like, wouldn't they have already known that if they're like looking into the fiance and like, I don't yeah. know. So that's why I say again, the timeline's murky. Either way, the police go to the club so that they can talk to her co-workers, talk to the patrons and see what they can find out. But she hadn't worked in like a week before her disappearance. But that wasn't super unusual because she didn't have a set schedule. Basically, she would work when she could. And that would be based around her babysitters too. She had to have somebody to be able to watch her kid. So the police talked to some women at the club and they're like, actually, Azita has like a box of business cards in her locker. And the business cards all had phone numbers on it. And these were people that she would do private parties for, private dances, whatever. And these parties though that she would do would be like in their houses, in hotel rooms, you know, wherever with no security. That reminds me of um, another case that I saw on a show on Investigation Discovery. And the the woman was a sex worker she paid a guy to be her bodyguard and when she would go to someone's house you know he kind of would like walk her up to the door she'd go in and then he would wait in the car and then you know she had somebody right there with her in case things went south so this of course piqued the police interest because again this creates situations in which she could really be in danger there were over 40 cards in her locker and police had to go through every single one of them talk to people and you know do well detective things and one name that stands out from the women from the cards is a guy named larry 
Now, the women, when they would say, like, yeah, Larry's really creepy. Azita was one of his favorites. He always made sure he was, like, front row at the stage. You know, when you hear them say those things, it's like, well, alarm bells aren't really going off. Like, okay, he wanted to be at the front of the stage so he could see better. He had a favorite. Like, that's not too creepy. Yeah. But I 1,000% trust these women's judgment. Oh, like, yeah. Like, their job is to ascertain if someone is creepy or not in, like, the blink of an eye for their safety. Mm-hmm. So their life and their job depends on being able to, like, figure that out in an instant. I 100% trust their judgment. But, like, I, I completely can understand. It's a vibe. It's a it's an energy. It's a yes. the way they do things. Like, it's just their instinct. And I 100% trust that. But Azita would do private dances for Larry. So the police find Larry and they're like, so you come to this club a lot? Who are your favorite dancers? And he, you know, names off a couple of names, but he doesn't name Azita. And they're like, well, that's weird. You've had some uh, private dances with her, right? And he's like, yeah, I hired her for this private poker game, but she bailed. You know, the more they kind of try to push him for information, he kind of gets a little more cagey and he's like super nervous because he's like, yeah, look, I got to protect myself. He's married. He's got kids. You know, the whole thing Mm -hmm. where he's spending his family money without his wife knowing, which is fucking terrible. Spend all the money you want to on private dances and all of that because y'all know how I feel. I think sex work should be legalized. However, don't fucking spend your family's money when you're hiding it from your family. Yeah. Like, fuck all the way off with that. When police are like, okay, well, where were you, you know, when she went missing? He's like, well, I was with my family. But then they find out, okay, he says he was with his family, but he says he was with his family in the same town, Tulare, which is where Azita and Bobby meet to switch Danny. Oh my gosh. So the police are like, well, Spidey Sense is activated. So police look at Azita's phone records and they see that at like 12.51 a.m., her phone pings and it's headed towards the Mojave Desert. So they're like, ding, ding, ding. This is when she's being taken or her body, I should say. So they start pulling records of the people who are involved to compare to see what were their cell phones doing around this time. So they pull Bobby's and he's nowhere near the Mojave Desert. Okay, I'm sorry, Bobby. They pull Larry's. And he is in Tulare. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I tried to write it out phonetically and probably still fucked it up. Anyway. She is not a good phonetic writer. <laughs> so not. But he's there with his family, just like he said he was. So next up is old Nathan. <gasps> So they pull up Nathan's phone records and there is a phone call between Nathan's phone and Azita's phone that showed that they were in the same place. This is in direct contradiction to the things that he told police. Yes. Oh my gosh. So in May of 2011, Nathan is brought back in for questioning. And at first, he does not change his story. He says it was the morning, she went out for errands, was supposed to go meet Bobby to pick up Donnie, and never did. Well, when police are like, well, why do your phone records show y'all like seem to be like traveling the same path towards the Mojave Desert where we found her body? And he can answer that. So the police know that Nathan really, truly does love Donnie. So police use it and they tell him like, look, give him some closure. Tell us what happened. Like, let's give Donnie what he needs. And he's like, all right. He tells police that the morning did start as usual. 
but he got a call on his phone from a woman. I don't know if Nathan actually did have affairs, but this was a very delicate part of their relationship, for lack of a better word. Basically, they fought all the time about infidelity. And Azita really believed that he was cheating. So when he got this phone call from a woman, she called him out on it. Now, their relationship was very volatile. They had a lot of issues and they fought a lot. And apparently... Some of Azita's friends told police that there were times where Nathan physically abused her and at one point had even choked her so badly that she lost consciousness. They were arguing. It stopped for a little bit. Azita went, took a shower, like, look, let's just squash this. I gotta go get dressed. I gotta go get my kid. Like, fuck off kind of thing, I'm guessing. Well, Nathan was still pissed and he had anger issues and he was taking steroids. So he was literally in a roid rage, decided that the argument wasn't over. Oh my gosh. So he goes up to confront her again and walks up behind her and starts strangling her. (gasps) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't think I got the word out. I'm sorry, but it's just because he came up behind her and stuff. Azita is strong and she is tough and she starts fighting with all of her might to live for her child. And he is just choking her and she is fighting and she's fighting. As she's fighting and he's choking her, he feels and hears her neck pop. Oh, shit. And she goes limp. So he decides to go get a shovel. He wraps her up, puts her in a car, and takes her to the desert. Oh my gosh. Now, on the way there, he calls a couple of times so that he can leave voicemails like, Hey, where are you? I hadn't heard from you. I'm out here looking for you. Are you okay? Yada, yada, yada. To make it look like he's really concerned. Meanwhile, he's creating a paper trail. Literally a trail of his phone next to hers. Yeah. Calling her. He was smart, but not smart enough. So when he got to the desert, he was going to bury her and he started digging, but then he panicked. And I think his steroid doped up ass probably got tired too, because he's used to like brute strength, like with the, you know, the steroid use, like they can lift heavy things, but like they're not made for endurance. Like people on steroids do not have endurance. And so I really think he probably got tired. So after he leaves Azita in the desert, he takes her things, her purse, clothes, cell phone, and starts dropping them off throughout the city at like shopping centers, like in the trash can, takes her car to the shopping center and walks home. And then he starts doing all the things, making flyers, you know, reported her to police. And, you know, his hope was that her like, quote, lifestyle as a dancer would be the focus. And it was. There are so many articles. It's like fiance killed stripper. It's never killed mother, killed fiance. You know, it's always Mm -hmm. they bring it back to her being a dancer. And it's like, it literally had nothing to do with this case. Right. Like, it, you're just doing that for headlines because it had absolutely nothing to do with this case. That's what sucks is when people do target that demographic and stuff. They do it because they know the police will either not care about it or that's how, like, the headlines are going to get yes. done. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Get off your fucking moral high horse because there's nothing to be even moral about in this situation. Again, I will say it till the end of time that I I really think that sex work should be legalized Mm -hmm. because all you're doing is creating this seedy underbelly that doesn't need to be there. Like, let's 
put some regulate. Let's tax the shit out of it. Put some regulations in place. Let them be STI tested every single week. All, like it, it could work. What they're doing with it being illegal is creating a dangerous workplace, like for both parties. Well, and it's setting people up to be trafficked. But back to Azita, douchebag of the year. Nathan confessed and was given a deal. He was convicted of manslaughter and given eleven years. What? At the time of his sentencing, Donnie was 14 years old. He was given three years longer in prison, basically, like, than her body was missing. That math made me wrong. Because, again, everything was, like, eight years. But if she went missing in 2004 to 11, that's, what, seven years? So, seven, eight yeah. years. So, it's right around that time. But, like, literally, this son is 14 years old. Fuck literally all the way off. So, he got sentenced to the 11 years in 2012. Which would mean 12 plus 11 is 23. So, I mean, I, I feel like he may be out because I did a California inmate search and he ain't pulling up. So, if you're a better Googler than I, uh, let me know. But before we talk about anything else with this case and Donna's story, we got to talk about True Crime Obsessed. And y'all know we are obsessed with Patrick and Jillian. If you love True Crime Podcast, we want to tell you about True Crime Obsessed. Each week on True Crime Obsessed, hosts Patrick and Jillian tell a fascinating true crime story by recapping a popular documentary based on a case. Their storytelling is detailed and suspenseful, but also entertaining and funny. A listener review put it best by saying, These two strike the perfect balance between humor and thriller. Listening to them, I am belly laughing while at the same time locking my doors and turning on all the lights. With over 200 million downloads and a thriving community of listeners, True Crime Obsessed has been at the top of the podcast charts for over six years. They have over 30,000 five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. And their live shows sell out theaters all over the U.S. and internationally. If you've never checked them out, now is the time to join their community. They promise they aren't a cult, but they are going to be your new podcast besties. So if you're looking for a new True Crime Obsession, follow True Crime Obsessed wherever you get your podcast. There are over 300 episodes waiting for you to check out right now covering everything from serial killers to notorious murders to the cases you haven't yet heard about but won't be able to forget. That's True Crime Obsessed wherever you're listening right now. And just an added, we have met Patrick, and we love him, and we love Jillian, and we love True Crime Obsessed, so y'all need to head on over. Yes, and tell them a paranormal chicks sent you. Okay, can we get back to someone who murdered someone getting 11 years? Like, literally, people are sitting in prison for a drug charge for longer than this schmuck got for murder. And he literally was like, we were arguing, we finished, and then I attacked her and killed her. So let me ask you this. Do you think that that was first-degree murder? Because Colby watched this detective show with me, and he said, that's first-degree murder. And I said, mm, it's not. I don't think so, because I don't think he had the intention of killing her. He just couldn't stop himself when he got in that rage. Yeah, I feel like he wanted to continue the fight, but I don't think killing her was the objective going up the stairs. I don't think it was an accident, but I definitely think it was just like a rage filled. That feels second degree murder to me. First degree murder to me would be the shovel that he had. He went and bought that first, mm -hmm. bought a tarp, came back. You know, that's first degree murder yeah. to me. 
But I definitely feel this is second degree murder and I definitely feel he should be in life in prison. Yes. Because also you lied to the police. You had this manhunt going on for your fiance. All of this was a ruse that you knew she was dead because you killed her. And I know that like money stresses me out. So I always bring it back to money. But the fact that you wasted police resources for so long to me deserves that much jail time. Yes. And then her poor family, her poor son, she's missing for so long. I mean, you know, he's six years old. She was supposed to pick him up and she didn't show up. And it's like, you know, I think about like my niece right now who's six. And it's like, if my sister did not just did not show up, I cannot even imagine the toll that that would take on that child, on any child. Mm -hmm. But like, and to not know for that long and then her body to finally be found years later. And if it was just not for the gold miners that just happened to find her body, like Donnie may have never known. Right. Like, how can you do that to someone? That you say that you care about too. Like he said, I do care about Donnie and all of this. And it's like, you took his mother away and then lied to him for so long. It really did sound like the police had his number from the start, but they they couldn't prove anything because there was nothing to prove at that point. Pretty uncommon to convict someone of murder with no body. Yeah. Is it possible? Yes. But is it like incredibly difficult? Very much so. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, or if they were like me and they jumped to conclusions that it was the ex-husband because of the custody battle. Right. And I want to say then poor Larry, who's just out there getting blamed, but also he's a dick who's hiding things from his wife. So still fuck off, Larry. (laughs) The whole Larry situation is exactly what Nathan was banking on. Uh Uh-huh. Think about how much time police wasted going through those people that were in her locker and all. I wonder if the $20,000 he had on him was something that they shared. That amount of cash, I feel like, was probably hers. Yeah. Because he did say, like, oh, this was just stuff that I had in my safe, and I was going to, like, start a new life. Well, why? Days after your fiancé goes missing, that's very weird, but I I bet that cash was hers. Like, if she was making... Five to six hundred dollars a night, you know, and she worked two nights a week. And then also, if you count in like the private dances and stuff. Absolutely. I don't know. When I heard that he had $20,000, I was like, oh, that's dirty then. Mm-hmm. Because also, that's stealing from Donnie. But he didn't give a fuck about Donnie. He pretends like he does, but he doesn't give a fuck because he would have never killed her or certainly not let her body be missing for eight fucking years. Like, Dumper. I mean, don't dump her. Don't kill her. But, like, dump her on the side of the road. If you're going to do this, like, don't make her be missing for that fucking long. But he thought he was going to get away with it. He sure did. And I'm glad that those people were trying to prospect some gold. Well, and because, like, they were saying how the bones were, like, very bleached. So, you could tell that she wasn't buried. She was in the element. So, like, the amount of animal activity and all of that, like, most of her was gone. Yeah. Like, it probably wouldn't have been long before... They really would have never found her. Yeah. Well, and also, if he actually loved her and loved Donnie, he wouldn't have been an abusive prick to her. Absolutely. Don't do steroids. Unless they're prescribed by a fucking doctor. Because it is terrible for you. Did you see, just recently, there was a guy, like, Joe's... Joe's Letics or something like that. He was like a social media influencer. His name was Joe Linder. He just recently died, and he was 30. 
Oh my gosh. And it was from like performance enhancing drugs is what I mean, what I heard. So, I mean, that shit is bad news. Like that is, it's bad. It is bad. So many people die from it. It impacts your sperm count. It impacts your heart, literally everything. Like it is not worth it. And you get off the shit and you deflate. Well, y'all let us know what you think. Did Nathan's sentencing make you as pissed off as it did us? And do you think that these objects that people are taking from the Bodhi area really is causing them bad luck? Or is it placebo effect? Let us know. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and support our sponsors. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.